the Lamb. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 14 for just a few moments today, the Lord willing. And uh, thank you so much for your prayers for me. Uh, many folks have asked about my health, and sometimes I try to just say I'm in there somewhere. Uh, I go to a neurologist this week, and I go to a lung doctor the week after that. So just pray for me. I'm not trying to draw attention to myself. I just wish for your prayers that God's perfect will can be accomplished in my life. Let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God, Luke chapter 14. I want to talk today about a farm, an ox, and a groom. Uh, most of you know the parable that Jesus gave in Luke 14. I want to go back to verse 11, chapter 14 first, because he gave this, gave this lesson <coughs> excuse me, to the Pharisees, verse 1, and to the scribes. And there was a man there that had a disease of dropsy in verse 2. <coughs> Excuse me just a minute. And then the Bible says, and the lawyers and the Pharisees were there. Verse 3. Um, just God has a sense of humor, I guess. Just lawyers just jumped out at me this morning. I circled it. The lawyers were there. They're going to try to find accusation against Jesus. They had it plotted. Bring this man who had heart failure, dropsy of that day, and they would see what he would do if he'd heal on the Sabbath day, be terrible, because they would think he violated the law. So Jesus gave the story that I'm about to read, but in verse 11, in the context of all that was here, they were going to an, another wedding celebration, and they would take the highest room, they'd take the highest position. They would be one to be seen, the Pharisees would, that they were somebody. But Jesus said in verse 11, For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased or brought down, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. That's a great text, a great verse in itself. All of us need to be reminded. It was Dr. Machine, the old preacher who used to say, the three steps to success are humility, humility, and humility. And how true that is. Then Jesus gave this message in the parable of the Great Supper. Verse 16. Then said Jesus, said he unto them, and to him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that the servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor, and the maimed, and the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of these men which were bidden shall taste my supper. And there went out a great multitude with him, and he turned and said to them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother, and his wife, and his children, and his brethren, and his sisters, yea, and his own life also, 
he cannot be my disciple. May God add his blessings to the reading of the word of God. Father, thank you for the good singing today. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your word of God that's been proclaimed in Sunday school. And now, Lord, as we open it again, we're glad for the old book. And I pray, God, you'll speak to us in this service. And we'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Let me just give a context of what I want to say today. I want to get over to making excuses. That's what it's all about in this sermon today. Excuses are why you don't want to go to heaven. Or excuses why you don't want to go to church. And it's important that we realize that God has given a great go. As a matter of fact, our, our entire bulletins for the next several months will have the word go on the outside of it. Come and go. Come and go. Two of the greatest words in the Bible. But Jesus has given this parable uh, to depict the great supper, a great banquet, maybe the marriage supper of the Lamb in eternity that he wanted everybody to come to. As a matter of fact, he wants everybody in the world to come to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, they're all not going to go because many have died already unsaved. But he wants every man, woman, boy, and girl to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb if they're at the age of accountability and they know Christ as Savior. And then I believe those who are not at the age of accountability, uh, whatever that age may be with individuals, varies. Uh, he wants them to be there too. Somebody asked the question, do little babies go to heaven? I certainly believe they will, and I believe they do, because you can't be lost until you realize you're a sinner. And I don't think a little baby realizes they're a sinner. There comes a time in their life when they're pricked by the Holy Ghost of God and they're convicted, whatever the age that may be. But God loves everybody. So I believe all the children are going to be there. And I'm not trying to answer the question today because it's a theological question. You know, how, how are we going to look? How are we going to be? Is everybody going to be the same age as Jesus when he died, 33 years of age? What are we going to look like? Uh, how are we going to, will we know each other in heaven? The Bible says yes. But anyhow, there are a lot of questions come up about heaven, about eternity. But I'm simply saying dogmatically that the Lord Jesus wants every man, every woman, every boy and girl in this room today to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. When God sets the table, we sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the saints of all the ages past, and we gather together in one great celebration in heaven. It's going to be a wedding celebration, too, uh, when the bride and the groom are met together in the presence of the Father and we are united forever, and thank God for that. So he wants to give an invitation. He does it in a parable form. But he also, I believe, he invited them to come to a local banquet they was having that day. And uh, he wanted to be honored there. He wanted everybody to come. And folks were not coming. Folks were making excuses. And the Bible says they all, with one consent, begin to make excuse. Verse 18. Now, the same thing is true about inviting folks to come to church. Sometimes folks give you all kinds of excuses. I heard several this week. And you'll hear them all the time. Uh, I've told the folks the other day, and you've probably heard the story about uh, the man that uh, they asked him to come to church. And he said, no. He said, I can't come. He says, why can't you come? He said, because of peanut butter. And the guy talking to him said, excuse me, peanut butter? Why can't you come because of peanut butter? He says, well, one excuse is about as good as another. And there's probably some truth in that. He just uses peanut butter. He's just making excuses. He doesn't want to go in detail. So his excuse is peanut butter. It would be terrible to miss a banquet because of peanut butter. It would be even worse to go to hell because of peanut butter. And that becomes your excuse. But it's a gospel invitation. The gospel is the good news of salvation. The good news, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, which is good news. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God and the salvation. So you have the invitation. Then you have salvation. 
And salvation is a great response uh, to the call of God upon our life that we believe in the we believe in the sinless life of Jesus. We believe in His birth. We believe in His literal life that He lived without sinning. We believe that He went to the cross and died on the cross of Calvary. We believe three days later He rose from the dead. We believe 40 days later he went back to heaven. We believe today Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father of Majesty interceding for us. And I'm glad we can be saved from the past. We can be saved, be saved from the present and be saved from the future. I mean by that I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. I have been saved from all of my past. I've been justified in the eyes of God. I am being saved from all of my sin sanctification right now. God is saving me from myself and making me, helping me to be more separated from the world. That's what I, should be the goal of every life of a Christian is to be sanctified. And then I will be glorified when Jesus comes again. One day, somewhere on the calendar of God, I'll be just like Jesus Christ. I know not when, I know not where it all together. I know not how he's going to do it. But the Bible says we know not what we shall be like, but we know that we shall be like him when we see him. So I have been saved, justified. I am being saved, that's sanctification, to make me pure and holy, getting ready to meet the bridegroom in heaven. And then I will be glorified. Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel. And the dead in Christ will rise first, those which already died. Their bodies shall come up first. It shall be reunited with the spirit that God had given to took from them when they died, and those who are alive and remain shall be called up to the air, and they shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Now, I'm not sure what the measurement of a twinkling of an eye is. Some folks have tried to explain what that means. But let me give you a twinkle. You got it? How many got it? Did you all get it? Let me see. Ran it. Didn't you get it? There you go. I wasn't winking at you. Yeah, I was. I mean, and that, I don't know if twinkles probably quicker than that. Well, what's that mean? Jesus just came. The rapture took place. Everybody's saved in this room's going to go to heaven. And everything behind, everything on your body's going to be left behind. Your glasses will fall on the floor, and your false teeth will fall on the floor, and your hearing aids will fall on the floor, and your knee replacements will fall on the floor, your hip replacements will fall on the floor. I mean, you're just being held together by a few wires. And one of these days, all that's going to take place if you've been, like most, most of us, had numerous, numerous surgeries. But we're going to be glorified to be just like the Lord Jesus Christ. So I put there, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God's will is for everybody to be saved. It's God's will for everybody, unless providentially hindered, to belong to a New Testament local church. They ought to be involved in that local church the very best they can. Jesus died for the church. And the church is the body of Christ. He's the head and we're the body. And we, he's the groom and we're the bride. And one day that will become fulfilled in the, in the holy city of Jerusalem. But because of that, he wants everybody to be saved, salvation. He wants everybody to go to church, providentially not entered. And uh, I talked to those who are shut in, who would give anything in the world if they could go to church. But they cannot and maybe never go and never, never go again in their life to a literal church building, and I know that's not all there is to it. The church is made up of people with two or three together in his name. He's in the midst. I understand that. But there's something about going fellowshipping. I was watching when the choir came down, and two Debbies were talking, Debbie and Debbie. I, I, I saw you sort of giggling when you came out of the choir. I said, hallelujah, that's good. And this, I don't know if it's telling a joke or just it's none of my business, to be honest with you. But they were, then I saw people hugging each other and shaking hands, and that's when I asked, 
if you had your hand. There's something about that. You say, preacher, it's no big deal. No big deal. It is a big deal. We're been, we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb with the same family, and we need church as much as anything in the world today. We need God, and God can't be separated from His church. And so even those who can't come need to be an extension of the church that somebody loves them, and somebody cares for them, and somebody's concerned about their life. I was sitting with Susan yesterday, the mother who lost her son in the accident, and let's do her talk for a while. She said, Preacher, I, I don't question why. She said, But sure, it's been tough. She said, sometimes I'll sit around in a while and then I'll go cry by myself. Then I'll come back and I'll look at his picture. She says, I know God's in control and I'm just going to trust him. That was refreshing as a pastor just to hear that because it's so easy to wonder what in the world is God doing. I'll talk about that in just a moment. But men dodge, evade, and sometimes they try to sidestep the great question. I'd like for you to come to the banquet or how about coming to church? Would you come to church? And thank God I'm preaching the choir today. You are here at church, and thank God for that. But I said last week, excuses are as old as Adam. Adam made an excuse in the garden and said, Lord, it's this woman that you gave me. I, I would not have done this. Oh, poor Adam. I would not have done this if this woman had not made me that you gave me. I mean, he didn't have the free will and, and Eve sin, but it was not her sin that plunged the world into depravity. It was Adam's sin by one man sinning in the world and sin passed upon all men for all of the sin and come short of the glory of God. And so Adam tried to make excuse and turn right back around and blame God and said, this woman that thou hast made me. And remember when first they first come together and he, he, he was put to sleep and God took a rib out of Adam's side and made a woe man and put her out there and formed a beautiful woman, the most beautiful woman in the world that's ever lived. And Adam probably said, wow, look what I got. I enjoy this relationship. And now he's blaming the woman and blaming God in essence, saying that this woman you gave me caused me to sin. Well, the answer is false. All of us have a free will since Adam. We have one. Adam had one. He had a free will to choose. I have a free will to choose. I have a free will to go to heaven. And I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I'm glad my name is in the book of life. How about you? Aren't you glad it's real? And I know it's real. My salvation is real. I'm glad for that. But I've also had an invitation to be part of God's family and to be a part of God's work, be a part of God's economy in this world until the day He calls us home. And that's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So He's looking for a response. So when we knock on a door, would you ask somebody, you give somebody a tract, like to invite you to church, and they say, peanut butter, you know what they're talking about. If they say, well, yeah, I'm going to be there Sunday. The Lord willing, I'll be there. And they never show up. And you ask them another time, they never show up. They just never come. And they just make excuses. And you don't want folks just to keep making excuses. You want them to realize how serious it is. So you, you get away from church, you get back to Jesus. And say, I find no fault in Jesus Christ. I find He's perfect in all of His ways. And He loves you and He cares about you. I love this gospel track that we've been passing out recently. You know, about God's love. God loves you. God loves you. I want to give you a track. God loves you. Or a track that says, if you died right now, would you go to heaven? I mean, those gospel tracks are being sown everywhere, and thank God for that. Those are invitations to go to heaven. They're also invitations to go to church. I gave a track to a man yesterday. He was out the house, yes, uh, yesterday or Friday, Friday or Saturday, one or the other. Anyhow, I gave him a track, and I turned it over, and I said, you see that picture on the back? It's got my picture on the back. And I said, you can take that picture and put it in your garden. It's when the, when the, you sow your garden, it'll keep the crows away. No other reason. You don't need to come to church. Just ignore the picture. 
and they put the picture on there to wonder who the pastor is, and I'm not opposed to that, but I'm not interested in who's on the outside of the track. My picture, I'm interested in what the message is on the inside of the track that Jesus saves. Jesus saves and wants to redeem every individual from the, the curse of the sin and the curse of the law. There's no reason, but many excuses are given for why we don't do certain things for God. Why we don't serve God, why we don't live for God, why we don't let our life count for God. We give excuses. The farm, the guy says, I can't come because I bought a farm, I bought some land, and I've got to go take care of it. I mean, the Bible says, he began to make excuses. I bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray they have me excused. Now, I don't know if the guy was a liar or a fool, but he bought a piece of land. I guess he didn't look at it before he bought it. Or he just bought it on a whim and said, I'm going to take that and never looked at it, never seen if it was any good for anything, for growth. It may have been barren land, it may have been terrible land. But the fact is, he said, I bought a piece of ground and I just meet you. Couldn't he go the next day? Why did he have to go that day? Supper time was almost nighttime in the Jewish tradition. At supper time, there was almost time to go, the sun was going down, and they were talking about going and looking at the piece of ground. That was nothing but a lie. Uh, wrapped up in the skin of a reason. It's all it was. It was a false statement. He didn't want to go. See, honesty is half the battle. He said, well, I don't want to come. I think that's a better answer than saying, well, I bought a piece of ground. But he didn't want to offend the man who made the banquet because it was offensive to the man. I invited you. I want you to come. And back in those days, the more people came to the banquet, it was an honor to come. They, they took it really seriously. And then the next guy said, I bought five yoke of oxen, verse 19, and I go to prove them. I pray they have the same, same story, same illustration, just a different way. You're looking at it, five yoke of oxen. I've got me five big ox, and I want to, I've got to go out and prove them right now. I don't have time to come to the banquet. I pray they have me excused. And then, by the way, if you come to our house, we've got a little calf that uh, has been neglected by its mother. It was twins. And uh, you who do any farming around cows or horses, anyhow, she rejected one of the calves and she kicked kick it away from her so my son's wife they took it and nursed it put it inside a little gate and fed it ever so many hours and and now it's walking around like a dog and so it walks up the side of the fence it sort of comes to you it snuggles up to you instead of running from you it snuggles up to you and here we've got this calf now out there we've got a black labrador and it's bigger than the black labrador but it walks around like it's a labrador it's, I don't know what's going to happen to the calf. I told Andrew, what's going to do is get old, have an old cow when it grows up. You're going to take it inside and let it sleep with you? What you going to do with it? And I suggested last night that we eat it and have the fatty calf. And they didn't like that idea either. But fact is, he fought five oxen. Now he's going to prove them to see if they're any good or not. That's a foolish business deal. I bought a car, didn't try it out. I bought a car, didn't take it to my car. I just bought this car, that car. Wow, that looks good. I'll give you $5,000 right now, no questions, ask, give me that car, and I'll take it. And you get in there and you won't even start. But this guy, his cows might have died when he started exercising. I don't know. But he said he had five yoke of oxen and he said they'd prove them. I want to try to get them, get them cranked up, ready for harvest. I pray thee, have me excused. And others said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. I said last week, if any man had an excuse not to go, probably this man. I married a wife. And therefore, I cannot come. She probably wanted to go. I mean, woman just getting married. Number one, this is a free meal. 
And this is, didn't cost her a dime. It didn't cost her a dime. And, and, to, and to show off her husband and he to show her off at a banquet of attending and, and being recognized, probably there at that occasion, would be a tremendous honor. But the man spoke up. He might have been henpicked. She might have said, tell him we don't want to go. Tell him we don't want to go. And so the man being henpicked said, I don't want to go. I've married a wife. Can't come. Put the blame back on his wife, maybe like Adam did years ago. But all that to say this, there's all kinds of excuses. I want to jot these down and I'll give you one. We'll go to the house. We're blaming others. Many still do that regularly. They always have an excuse for why they don't live for God or they don't do what God wants them to do. They have an excuse. God's looking for humility, humility, humility. Lord, here am I. Use me, Lord. Please don't refuse me. For sure there's a work that I can do. And even though it's humble, help my will to crumble. Lord, here I am. I am available and the greatest ability in the world is availability, not your ability, but availability. You say, preacher, I can't do anything. You can do something. And what you can do with God's grace, you can do it. Make yourself available. The greatest ability is dependability along with availability. And then remember responsibility. You're going to be meeting God someday for your life and giving account for your life. Just make yourself available. Here am I. Isaiah said, send me. When the message went out and the Lord said, whom shall I send? And Isaiah said, here am I. Lord, here am I. Send me. Even though I'm a man of unclean lips, I'm not where I ought to be. I want to get right with God. I'll do what you want me to do. I'm, I'm available. I'm willing to do and go where you want me to go. I want to touch the people you want me to touch. I want to be an influence on those I can be an influence on. I have but one life to live. It'll soon be gone. As you age, as some of us in this room are aging, you realize your destination of death is around the corner. You don't dwell on it. It's like my wife was, I was getting dressed this morning. She said, do you know Bob Barker, Barker died? Bob Barker. Who is Bob Barker? He crossed my mind. He was 90-some years old when he died. How many knows who Bob Barker is? You watch television, don't you? But he died. And no matter how long you live, you're going to die unless the rapture comes. Whether it be 70, whether it be 80, you know three score and 10 is 70. That's the age of man in the Bible, Psalms 90, 91. Three score and 10, you may live to be 80. Most of us are going to die somewhere between there, there and then. And some may live older and some may live longer. Uh, I, my granddaddy on my dad's side lived to be 98. And my granddaddy on my mother's side lived to be 88. So they lived pretty good lives, long lives and longevity. Had an uncle die yesterday, day four yesterday. One of a preaching brother, Uncle Buddy. He was 90 when he died. He said, I'm ready to go. I'm going home. And now he's in the presence of the Lord and thank God for that. But the fact is, we're all going to die somewhere along the way. And you give all the excuses in the world you don't want to do it. You can make all the fabrications up. You can act like it's true when down deep you know it's not. But as you age, you think more about dying. You realize that your day is coming. You try to set your house in order. That's what God told Hezekiah. Set your house in order if you're going to die and not live. He gave him 15 more years, you know, in the Bible. But he gave him a decree uh, when he was 25. You've got 15 years to live before you die or before you... I think it was maybe not, maybe it was a little older than that. You got 15 more years to live, and then you're going to die. He extended his life 15 years. But Hezekiah, set your house in order, for you're going to die and not live. Get your house in order. Confess your sins to God. Be right with Him vertically. Be right with everybody horizontally. You're going to meet God. Ain't going to matter about a lot of things we think is important. Ain't going to matter about what I did this day and what I didn't do this day that I thought was great. What are we doing for God? 
And everything we do ought to sort of filter out of my relationship with God. I have a relationship with God. first four commandments in the ten are toward God. The first four. The next six are with your fellow man. You've got to be right with God and be right with other folks. Are you right with God or are you right with other folks? You've got to decide that because you're going to meet God someday. Now, it won't matter about a lot of things. It's going to be a matter of how we treated God first and foremost. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. So anyhow, the first one is interpretation. Jot that word down, interpretation. You say, what kind of excuse is that? Out in parentheses, you put down, I can't understand the Bible. I can't understand the Bible. Number two is indecision. Well, what is that? Well, there's just too much to give up. I got, I, I'm just, I just, I'm having trouble. I, I don't want to give up this to drinking. I don't want to give up the partying. I don't want to give up this. I don't want to give, Well, I know it's not that big a thing, but just, I'm, 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 I'm indecisive. I just can't make up my mind. Sort of like a worldly Christian, a person who's saved, needs to be, uh, come out of the world and be different. I mean, sometimes we want to make excuses. Billy Sunday talked about a worldly Christian and a heavenly devil. Ain't no such thing. We sometimes, you're either worldly or you're not worldly. If you're a Christian, you're carrying a, some baggage in your life that ought not to be there. And so indecisive. It's impossible. I've heard this several times in my life. Preacher, I would be saved, but it's just too hard to live the Christian life. How many ever heard anybody say, it's too hard to live that Christian life you talk about? Several of you. It's too hard. Just, it's just too hard to live the Christian life. Well, is it? Or is that just a lie? Insincere. I hear this quite often. There are just too many hypocrites in the church. Boy, I would go to church, preacher, over there. You know you've got hypocrites in your church. Always room for one more. And most churches have hypocrites. I'd rather sit beside one in church and rub elbows with them than rub elbows with them in hell. If they're not saved, they're going to hell. They're closer to God than you are. How's that? You're hiding behind them. If you're hiding behind them, that's the hypocrite. You're hiding behind them. They're closer to God than you are. And so it is sometimes folks use hypocrites. I've heard that so many times. It's almost a chuckle. But anyhow, or the last one is impressions. I'll be saved, but I've got to feel a certain way. I don't know. I, I'm, I, don't, know if, I don't feel like I need to be saved. Had nothing to do with your feeling. Now, if you're talking about conviction, that's one thing. You say, well, I don't feel, when you get saved, you trust Christ. Or you say, well, I don't feel saved. You don't base your salvation on how you feel. I may talk more about that on the insurance of salvation. But let's go back to interpretation for just a moment. I can't understand the Bible. Very quick, very simple. I have before me the Word of God. You have on your lap or on the pew the Word of God. All God's people said. This is the eternal Word of God, written only book God wrote. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be truly furnished unto all good works. This book is God's eternal Word. It's God's message. It's God's love letter. And I don't think He wants us to misunderstand it. I wrote Nancy love letters when I was in college. She wrote me love letters in college. Uh, back and forth to the dorms, they had a, somebody who would take the mail every day. And I'd write Nancy a, a little letter, a little note. I called her Birdie, Dear Birdie. I love you. You're the most beautiful girl on campus. I love you. Sign, your hunk. That, that's me. That was a hunk. And uh, she would write back and say, Dear Hunky, 
I love you. I wish we'd have kept those love letters. I think I destroyed mine for sake of not being accused of being dumb. <laughs> How many still got your love letters from when you... Anybody? Nobody? Oh, you got your... Jeff, you and Sharon bring them tonight. And we'll share them with the congregation, okay? <laughs> All in favor say aye. aye. Okay, Jeff, you're down. But I don't know where ours is at. But I, I, I didn't dread writing her. And when I got to traveling in the summer and away from her, I'd write long letters. Or sometimes I'd call her on the phone. Imagine on the phone. Back when you called on, just called on the phone. And I want to talk to you for a few minutes and just tell you I love you. Sometimes the conversation went on for an hour just telling I loved her. I mean, we talk about little things, not the whole lot of things, but they, they were precious to us. But I'm just simply saying, this is God's love letter to us. You think he's going to make it complicated? You say, preacher, are you telling me there's things in the Bible I can't understand? I didn't say that. There's things about my wife I don't understand. There's some things about me she don't understand. I don't know why, but she don't. And when you get your wife figured out, buddy, tell me so I know what to do. It's hard to get them figured they don't think They think differently. Uh, my wife is in the kitchen talking to me. Then she'll come and say, what do you think about that? What do you think about what? She said, well, did you, hear, you don't hear a word I say. There's her famous statement to me. Get you a hearing aid. Duh. I said, honey, I didn't hear what you said. Yesterday, for the first time in three months, I'm going into my marriage, so don't, don't get nervous. And she said, she came in and she said, uh, I said something, and she said, well, I didn't hear you. Oh, it was a joyful time for me. <laughs> I wrote that in for a while. You didn't hear me? Honey, my goodness. You've accused me of not hearing you a lot. And now, think about it. You don't hear what I say. Oh, hallelujah, it's time for revival. <laughs> but the fact is, the interpretation, God's not going to give us a Bible we cannot understand. And that which I can't understand, there are some deep truths in the Bible, are going to be that which He revealed to us a little along. I know things today I didn't know yesterday and years ago. And when I get to heaven, I'll know it even better. And I'll have Him Himself, the Word of God. He is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him. I'm glad that God the Son is the Creator of the world. He made this world. He gave us a book for a guide. He gave us a book to show us how to be saved. He gave us a book to live by and a book to die by. And He'll stand, we'll stand in His presence one day. And He's the living book. This is the written book. But it's written. This is God in the, in the book, in book form. And thank God for that. I'm glad for the interpretation, the simplicity. How simple is it? Well, let's quote the Scripture. Ready? All. Say that. What does all mean? Very good, class. But we're getting deep now. All we, what's we? That's a pronoun for all, all of us. All of us are we-ins. All right, we're in that together. All we. Let's say it together. All we. Boy, you're doing well, class. Have. Boy, is that a verb? I'll get lost in my English after I get on. All have sin. All have, all have. How many knows what sin is? Don't lie to me. You know what it is. How many's ever, how many's ever sinned? Let's put it that way. You, well, what'd you do? Transgress the law of God, being disobedient, knowing to do right and doing not. That's sin. But all have sinned. That's not too deep. Ready? All we like. No, see, I get it mixed up. All have sinned. Ready? 
Are we doing pretty good? You get an A or B right there. You passing? All have sinned and come. You know the rest of the verse. Short. That means didn't, don't reach up to it. Come, we didn't make the mark. We didn't reach the mark. We come short of preposition, the adjective, glory of God. And the glory of God is Jesus Christ. We've come short of being like Jesus Christ and we need help to be like Jesus Christ and thank God He died on the cross and rose from the dead and lives in the power of the Holy Spirit that we can live like Jesus Christ from day to day. He lives in me to help me to be like Jesus. He's my pattern and the Holy Ghost says I'll help you to live the Christian life. Thank God. Thank God all of sin and come short of the glory of God. I understand that. And you can't be saved until you understand that. Well, that was nothing too deep. Did pretty good. Everybody get an A? You're passing thus far. All right? Let's see. Try something else. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Say that. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Pretty simple. I mean, I, I may take me a couple of times to say it, but I think I get a hold of it. How about for the wages of sin is death? Say that. Very good class. Wages. How many knows what wages is? How many earns wages? How many works for pay? How many don't work for pay? You just work. <laughs> wages. The wages of sin. There's that word again. Sin. And for the wages of sin is death. We know what death is. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift, we know what a gift is, of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Folks, that's simple. That's not compl- A child can understand those scriptures. A fool, no wayfaring fool, can understand the scriptures. So says Isaiah. They're not complicated. And somebody says, "Well, I don't understand the Bible." And the reason why they don't quote scriptures that they can understand, like, "But God committed His love toward us, and while we yet sinners, Christ died for us." Romans ten thirteen says, "Whosoever calleth on the Lord shall be saved." The Bible says in John one, "But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God." First John one nine says, "If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness." The reason why we don't quote those as being hard because they're not hard. Well, let's get ones hard. Why would a loving God send sinners to hell? Good question. Can you understand that? Well, let me just put it right where it's at and you understand it. God's not going to send you to hell just because you live in this world. He's not going to just send you to hell because you, He don't like you. You will send yourself to hell. God has no alternative. The ways of sin is death, separation from God. Eternal, the, every man's name that's not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. God's true to His Word. Now, in one way, God will send you to hell because He has no alternative. Do you think He wants to? you think He bankrupted heaven 2,000 years ago and sent the only Son He had, the begotten Son of God to this world, to take on the form of a man and live in a man's body and live for 33 years and die on a cross, the most horrible, terrible death that's ever been experienced by any man in any generation? you think God would turn His back on His Son if He didn't love you? He loved you enough to care for you? You'll, as somebody said in Sunday school, you'll climb all the way to hell. You go over top of prayers. You go over top of the church. You go over top of the Word of God. God's not making it hard for you to be saved. I said a child can be saved. And so it is. The loving God loves you so much. Sinners have no choice except to go to hell if they're unsaved. And they ought to be willing to go to church because they are saved. And all God's people said. 
I mean, it's so important that loving God wants us to be obedient. If you love me, keep my commandments. You know what my biggest problem is? I don't love God. When you read through 1 John, those five chapters, and read what he says about loving God to have the assurance of your salvation, if you love God, you will obey Him. That's pretty simple. So if I'm not obeying God, and I'm living my life the way I want to in selfishness, I'm disobeying God. I don't love God. I may be a Christian, but I don't love God. I don't love Him like I ought to. Maybe that's a better way to put it. I'm glad God saved me, and I don't have to go to hell. Fire escape from hell. Wonderful that you're not going to hell. But he didn't save you just to keep you out of hell and take you to heaven. If that's the case, we're going to have a ball pack committee. Ball pack committee. Ball bat committee. Willie, you, you could probably get around and do this. Or Michelle, I know could do it. Room right across the hall, conference room. We're going to put a ball bat in there. And as soon as people make decisions for saved, they'll walk through that aisle. We'll take them up to the baptistry, bring them in there, and your job is to kill them. Hit them in the head with a ball bat. Because that's, they're not going to do anything. They get saved, they get baptized, and they say, I'm going to heaven. I doubt very seriously anybody who takes the attitude is going to heaven. There's more to this thing than just saying, I'm a Christian. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So does the devil. And the Bible says the devil trembles. Now, we're not going to kill somebody. That's, that's a sort of an uh, awkward way of saying it. But if we had a ball pack, I can't even say it, so it must not be in the will of God to have it. We'll take a bat and hit somebody over the head and kill them and take them to heaven. It'd be far better than waste their life. Wasted years, wasted years. They come down, to the end of their life, they've been saved and they're going to heaven. If they go, thank God for that. But if they don't want to do anything for God, they have no desire to do anything for God, there's something missing on the inside. There is an inbred desire that comes by the Holy Spirit to teach us all things, to help us to be the Christian that we ought to. Christian means Christ-like, to live like Christ. And so the interpretation says, I can't understand it. A loving God, would He send sinners to hell? I just don't understand that. God loves you more than you can ever imagine. God loved you so much that He gave His only begotten Son. And the message of loving God is found all the way through the Bible. God is a God of judgment. God is a God of holiness. And God's going to judge the unrighteous. And God's going to judge the righteous. How righteous you are. And I'm glad the only righteousness I have today that's going to be justified is in the eyes of God that Jesus Christ is my righteousness. As far as my Christian life and sanctification, the Lord gives me a free will to dedicate myself or not dedicate myself. He doesn't make me live to Christian. You know, God didn't make me come to church today. He didn't make me. My wife did. No, you know why you came to church. Number one, out of habit probably. Because you always go. I hope you came because you wanted to come and be a part of the family of God. Or do you have a farm or an ox or maybe a wife that hindered you in your Christian life? Or maybe kept you from getting saved. At least you say that. And that's nothing more than an excuse. Well, preacher, I've read the Bible from front. I've read it from cover to cover. I've heard that before. And there's errors in the Bible. I said, show me one. Well, they're in there. How do you know they're in there? Well, I've, I've read them. Well, tell me one. And somebody quoted a verse of Scripture that says, Every tub shall sit on its own bottom. Well, where's that in the Bible? Well, it's in there. I read it. Every tub is going to sit on its own bottom. Would you do me an assignment? Go home and find that for me. Every tub is going to sit on its own bottom. It's a good Bible. You say, preacher, it's not in there. Well, at least you know that. But some folks quote it to me regularly. Or they come up with some scripture out here in Timbuktu somewhere, they read somewhere, heard somewhere, 
and then they want to get religious and they want to talk to you about religious things and they have no clue what they're talking about. Here's what they want to talk about. They want to talk about prophecy in the book of Revelation. I'm all for prophecy and I'm all for the book of Revelation. The revealing of Jesus Christ in the latter days when he comes back in power and glory as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The tribulation period, the millennial reign, the battle of Armageddon, all that is important because it's in the Bible. When you get saved, you don't need to go to Revelation. You get bogged down in the first chapter, first two or three chapters. Well, preacher, what's that white horse doing in there? What's that red horse mean? Then you've got to take, a, take time to study it and go over it. And you're not even sure you're saved for, for, for a while there. Why don't you just go back to the book of John for a while? Why don't you read through the 21, 21 chapters of the book of St. John? Why don't you come down to verse chapter, chapter 31, uh, chapter 21, where he says, Lovest thou me more than these, Peter? Lovest thou me more than these? Peter, I want you to do what I tell you to do. What I tell you to do. Go feed my sheep. Go feed my lambs. You read through the whole book of John and find the story of Nicodemus getting saved, the Samaritan woman getting saved, the blind man, uh, the leper, and all those folks getting right with God and also having complete healing of the body. You just read this Gospel of John, and it's so simple. Yes, there's some deep things in the Bible, but if you want to interpret the Bible and the Revelation, keep it as simple as possible. If it says as or like as, it's symbolic. You can always know it's a symbol if it says like as. Or if Jesus says, let me give you a parable. A parable is an illustration to convey a spiritual truth. You lay a truth down and put a parable or an illustration right beside it to prove your point. The Bible interprets itself. The greatest Bible interpreter is the Bible itself. As you read it and digest it. I love books. I love commentaries. I love to read. And I read a lot of truth. But sometimes even problems I can't find answers to, most of the commentaries pass over them also. They don't know the answer either. And sometimes you're searching for answers. And I'm not saying that's wrong. Search the Scriptures, friend, then you may think you have eternal life. Nothing wrong with searching the Scriptures, the second coming of Christ, all my life. I heard all my life, preacher. Here we are, 2023, and He hasn't come yet. I've heard that all my life. I'm 77. I've heard all my life. I've heard my dear old dad in heaven today when he used to preach and loosen that tie and preach on the second coming of Christ or preach on heaven. I heard him many, many times go through the book of Revelation preaching prophecy messages in those revival meetings and people would hear the gospel. And yet I understood what he said. I may not be able to grasp all the entirety of it, and neither did he. I can, I'm being honest with you. I cannot understand how God could send his son and be wrapped in human flesh and be born of a virgin. I don't understand that. I can't figure it out. It's impossible. And then I read, God does things that's impossible. He specialized in things impossible, thought impossible. There ain't nothing God can't do. God, salvation, Christianity, is when God comes to live on the inside of you, you can't explain your salvation. You can't explain how you got saved except you trusted Christ as Savior. I don't know how a great big God can come live in my life and do in my soul what I can't explain to take me to a place I've never been before. That's called heaven. But we don't live by explanations. We live by promises and thank God for that. The second coming all my life, I've heard it. And the Bible says there'll be mockers in the last days. Where's this coming? Well, he's coming, and we would better get ready for it before long. It's going to happen in reality. And lastly, I'm through. Well, preacher, I, that going to church, I just, I just don't have time. I'm a busy person, and I've got things to do. Well, let's go back. Do you love him? Somewhere in there, you've got to work out your relationship with God, as it ought to be. I'm not trying to dictate to you how to live. I'm telling you to read the Bible and see how you're supposed to live. Going to church is a very valuable part of your Christian life, and I'll labor it maybe some more later. 
But the fact is, it's important. And we're living in a day of the great falling away. We're living in the day of people sometimes not interested. They may be like a little, for a little while, they spring up and then, like sowing the seed, they soon disappear from the face of the earth, Christian-wise. All the excuse of the world, don't say, I can't. Say, Lord, I want to be saved. And he says, I'm ready and I'm willing. Don't refuse the gospel. Maybe the last message you ever have. Time is running out. God's on the throne. Christ is about to come. It's important to be ready for Him to take us to the big banquet in the sky. Let's stand together, please. Thank you for your attention for just a few moments. Maybe more than I should have today. Father in heaven, we have one life to live to soon be passed. Help folk to come and do as God beckons them to do this morning. Maybe it is for salvation. Maybe they didn't trust Christ. Maybe it's for some problem in their life. It may be some decision they need to make. All the things that assail their souls. I pray, Lord, you'll bless them today in a special way. Take the brokenness of this human element today and this tongue that sometimes feels tied. I pray, O oh God, that you'll deliver the message to the soul of souls and folks will trust you. It may be a special need in their heart they're praying about. May they come and put it on the altar. Worshiping God causes us to depart to want to serve you better. May that come to reality today. Bless the invitation in Jesus' name. As we sing together on the very first verse, if you need to come, you come and pray with me.